Welcome back into the Lions 247 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We've got a lot to get to on the second episode of game week number nine on the Nittany Lions 2022 football schedule. This is a 6-0 Penn State team now ranked 16th in the AP poll nationally, coming off a 44-31 loss against Ohio State. It's an emotional defeat. We covered that at length in our post-game podcast on Saturday evening. And once again, when we brought Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon on board for our Monday episode, Going over some of those key storylines, some of the elements that added up to cost Penn State the opportunity to pull off an upset against the second-ranked team in the country. Started to get in some of those some big-picture November type of conversations that really, you know, command your attention now in college football um, as you work towards a, with a two-loss team that has been eliminated essentially from conference championship contention. Some of those topics that surfaced include the quarterback. And we got into it today in our press conference with James Franklin. That is going to be a key topic of discussion with Daniel Gallon in just a moment, along with some injury updates on the offensive side of the football. We've got Tyler Calvaruzzo coming on this episode to talk about recruiting, not just on the football field and, and what the impact was of these back-to-back Beaver Stadium opportunities. And they got a lot of prospects on campus the last couple of weeks. But also on basketball, uh, Tyler's been really covering things at a great deal. Great clip on our site. And with the basketball season approaching, he'll kind of Bring us up to speed on how things are going with Micah Shrewsbury. So a big recruiting segment on the way, but let's get into it with Daniel Gallon, who uh, sat alongside me in this press conference with James Franklin. We're there every Tuesday afternoon. And this time around, the first question, not the first time it's been the first question this season in the Tuesday setting, but it was on Sean Clifford. And it was about the fact that with these two losses, both of them occurring within your division, you're now knocked out of that conversation for trying to get to Indianapolis. Is it time with this last third of the season to focus on the future, specifically at the quarterback position. You've got the 24-year-old Sean Clifford, 41 career starts, uh, down to these last four or five games of eligibility. And then you've got Drew Aller, the acclaimed five-star prospect, played in the first four games. He was an observer for two of the four games in October, and people are clamoring around his talent, his ability. And where that meets in the middle, we don't quite yet know. But James Franklin Moved a little bit beyond status quo, maybe a lot of bit beyond status quo on this subject today, Daniel, saying that internal discussions are ongoing since this matchup ended against Ohio State. He's consulted with a bunch of his key members of that inner circle, uh, some of those offensive analysts as well. And he says whoever plays that quarterback will be the guy they determine uh, will give them the best opportunity to go 1-0 this week. And he left it open, which I think speaks volumes about where this realistically might be through two-thirds of the 2022 campaign. James Franklin moved beyond the status quo, but he did it in rather meandering fashion uh, with a very, very long answer uh, where kind of in the middle of it, we we didn't really know what direction he was going to go in uh, or if we could have even gotten uh, some, some sort of concrete announcement out of there. But it was a really interesting day. Um, I think it is notable that we went beyond the, the status quo of Sean Clifford's our starter, uh, he's earned it. He gives us the best chance to go one and zero this week, um, and and the fact that it was left a little bit more um, open ended. Uh, I did think it was interesting to hear James Franklin talk about all of the people that that he consulted. Uh, which you know you got Mike Yersich, Manny Diaz, uh, Ken Wisenhunt, uh, Danny O'Brien, just a long list of, of names, and I think that. You know, this this wouldn't be something that that James Franklin would take lightly. Uh, I think that that's been clear from the start um, when it comes to Sean Clifford as a four time team captain. 
even though he did to your question, he did say that that doesn't really play a role in it. But the fact that it is a 60 year senior who's won a lot of games, who's done a lot of good things, um, you know, I, I don't think that this will be a decision that's made on a whim. Um, and we, and I think that that's kind of borne out when we watch how things have gone in the games, when in the losses, when Drew Aller has come in, like the Michigan game, things were pretty much out of reach. Um, you know, in the other games, when, when Sean Clifford was shaky, uh, including that Minnesota game uh, early, we didn't see Drew Aller. Um, so I think that that was kind of the, um, you know, the microcosm um, of things. Um, I guess the, the one other notable thing that James Franklin said that I don't know how much to read into it, but he did say that that Clifford reached out to him on Sunday about meeting on Monday. Um, and, and that hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know how much to read into that because James Franklin, especially today, <laughs> like to talk about all the meetings that he has uh, with, with players. Um, but it's just, you know, there's, a lot of details and given where this team is, what the future looks like and those answers we got early, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, through this week and, you know, when we're out at practice, what it looks like uh, at quarterback. That was, there was a couple things that were unsolicited that were a bit uncharacteristic in this kind of setting for James Franklin to mention. And one was that Sean Clifford had approached him on Sunday to set up a meeting for Monday. You're talking about a guy who's been on campus for six years. He's a four-time team captain. It's not a strange thing for him to connect with the head coach on a one-on-one -on -one basis. That's not weird at all. What's weird is that Franklin would bring it up and then tell us that it hasn't happened yet. And, and it's now you know Tuesday and they're a couple hours away from their first practice of the week. And so usually, I mean, to get details on what's happening in a team-wide meeting is difficult. You know, they're tight-lipped about that kind of stuff. So for James Franklin to reference that, I thought was interesting. And then additionally, um, before he got into telling us that the fact that Sean is a four-time team captain versus Drew Aller being a true freshman is not a, a prevalent factor in their discussions. It's not something that is a centerpiece, a topic for them. Um, but he prefaced all that by saying one thing that's jumped out to him in college football this year in teams that they've played and looking at their schedule is there's a lot of 60 year seniors who were captains before and now they're backups on their teams. And again, James Franklin, you know, it's just something that he noted and that he mentioned um, I just thought that was interesting that he included that in the answer uh, one way or the other. Um, but I, I, look, with Sean Clifford, the deal is, and, and James Franklin's reference said it may have summed up exactly how it went for, for Sean Clifford as good as anybody else. He said, if you, he said, quote, if you go back and watch the tape, the guy played his tail off and made some really good plays in that game. He had made some really good plays in the previous game, which I came in here and talked to you guys about. He made two throws against Ohio State as good as I've seen him make since he's been here. But obviously, there's four to six plays that we've got to get rid of. And right now, the conversation isn't really on Sean Clifford losing his grips on this job because of what transpired over four quarters or more notably the last nine minutes against Ohio State. It's more so the fact that they are at this fork in the road uh, because of how the college football season dictates it until the playoff expands and a two-loss team can have those dreams in November. That's how it is right now. And right now is, is a, a point where you get into the schedule where it looks like it could be a bit more of a soft landing for Drew Aller if, than you, if you had done it a couple of weeks ago. Um, so what do you make of all this? Because clearly we're not going to get an indication on Wednesday. We're going to see both Drew and Sean throw passes, work through drills. I'm sure Sean will be ahead of the line. If he's not, maybe we can, we can talk about that a little bit, but it's still even going to be hard to read into that much. Um, this is one where it, for the third time this season, but for the first time, because of something James Franklin directly told us, 
we've got to watch all the way up to the first snap. That's what's different about this. It's because of information that we have received from James Franklin on this Tuesday. Other times it was because of information that we were gleaning elsewhere. Right now it's because of what the head coach is going on the record, and that's why we say this is a pretty significant shift from the status quo. It, it's really interesting to look at how <clears throat> how you manage things down the stretch um, if you're Penn State because I think the one thing that you have to balance, and I think James Franklin has talked about this, is that you have to balance, you know, wanting to, and this I think this came up in a different question today, is that you want to balance, you know, building for the future and developing your program um, with also, you know, trying to win as many games as possible. Um, because, you know, like this isn't the, the NFL where you can't tank for a better draft pick. Um, you know, if, if you've been eliminated from things and the way that personnel is, is that you don't have guys under contract for, you know, X years that, you know, you're going to have that, that, you know, that, that you can build around and, and things like that. Like, I think that college football is so year to year, um, that, you know, you can't really turn all your attention to, to 2023, um, as much as some people might, and as much as we might, um, in, in some of our conversations about the future of this program, um, you know, it's such a day-to-day week-to-week sport. Um, you know, there are guys on, you know, on the coaching staff who are, you know, that want to put their best foot forward that want to, you know, continue to make a good impression. Um, there are players who want to, you know, solidify themselves, uh, their position, um, you know, they want to win games. They, they want to play their best because that is what is best for, for them um, right now. Um, and so I think that it's a delicate balance, but at the same time, I think that given what we know about Drew Aller and what we know about Sean Clifford is that Drew Aller might be the type of player where you can kind of do both at the same time, um, where he might give you a better chance to win than Sean Clifford. And you're also building for that 2023, uh, you know, season you're, you know, you're seeing what you have, you're, you're looking at younger guys, you're really kind of putting together maybe a core of what next year's team might look like. I think that Drew Aller is the type of player where you might be able to do both, which when it comes to some of these things, isn't always the case. Um, when you talk about, you know, trying to, to balance the, the present and the future. Um, so I'm interested to see what that looks like. Um, you know, I think that in the past, if you look at last year, um, some of the guys that we saw get run at different points um, that James Franklin isn't necessarily averse to playing um, younger guys uh, in these types of situations if he thinks they deserve it. Like I think about the fact that Olu Fashionu was, if he wasn't hurt, he was going to step in at left tackle. Um, obviously, there's an injury there with Rashid Walker, um, but I think that's an example of, all right, we're we're turning to the the younger player. Um, they weren't turning to Bryce Effner at left tackle, who had been the primary swing guy last year. They were turning to the younger prospect with the higher upside. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how the depth chart. Um, shakes out a little bit uh, as, as we go forward and, and if there are any changes. Um, but I think that if you're Penn State, you still have, to, if you're James Franklin, like you still have to win as many games as possible. I mean, I think that 
you know, some people might say that at this point in the season, there's no difference between 10 and two and eight and four. I mean, I think that when it comes to perception of your program, there's a huge difference between 10 wins, even 11 with the bowl game than there is between eight or nine wins. Um, And you still have to be putting out a good product to show on the recruiting trail. Um, You know, you still have to be, you know, making your program visible and and showing what it can be at its as it's going. So that's kind of a I guess that's my own meandering answer uh, to to earlier. (laughs) I'm convinced that people who make the case that there's no difference between eight and four and ten and four ten and two are just grumpy about the bull setup and they don't they they they're bad about the opt-outs because if you're telling me that you get to December first and you feel like there's no difference in a Penn State team that lost to Maryland and Michigan State versus not losing those two games. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's necessarily the case. It matters very much that you finish this strong, uh, that you finish this season strong on the field, off the field. Um, it, it matters a lot. And and eventually, you know, we'll get back to it right here at quarterback. How do they determine where it goes forward? James Franklin and this inner circle that he has described, and all these guys bouncing off the, this conversation together, and they want to follow this week of practice. And it, it's kind of very interesting as we've covered Sean Clifford. I've covered Sean Clifford so long the fact that they would be monitoring this week of practice to determine who the starting quarterback was going to be for Saturday's game when they've got the sample size of 41 starts in six years on campus. It's pretty remarkable to hear that come out of James Franklin's mouth at this stage. But it's also something that we knew might be inevitable, especially Penn State picked up a second or third loss by the time they got to November because when Sean Clifford made this decision to to stick not just in college but to stick with Penn State for year six, he knew very well that a couple weeks later – Drew Aller was putting pen to paper. And then a couple of weeks after that, Drew Aller was going to be enrolling on campus and joining him in that quarterback room every day. And just as Drew Aller was well aware when he signed that Sean Clifford was sticking around as a four-time team captain, as a six-year, as a six-year player. And now here we are. They've experienced eight games together with this Penn State football program. And I believe four of the first five questions here on the first day of November centered on the freshman quarterback and the six-year senior quarterbacks are everything in football it feels like that's never been more so the case than college football right now I think I called it a one-year rental situation with quarterbacks last year that's what it's like and it feels like you have to seize your moments you can't get it wrong with quarterback dynamics because then it can take you two or three years to dig yourself out of that hole or maybe you never do it just seems like a lot riding on what happens not just in Bloomington this Saturday but over the next two to three weeks and how they kind of navigate this thing as they work a very respected team leader toward the exit door and try to usher in this celebrated new hotshot young quarterback who seems very prepared for the moment by a lot of what we've heard from inside the building. Definitely. It's the dynamic is what's most interesting to me is what are the players seeing behind the scenes? What do they want? What do they think is, is best for the team? Um, obviously Drew Aller came in with a very, you know, a very big, a very, and a very talented freshman class that has played a lot of football, um, for Penn state this year. Um, you know, I think you'd know the number of red shirts that have been burned better than me. I think eight or nine at this point. Yeah. Um, nine, nine, like, you know, those are all Drew Aller's classmates. You know, they were, they were in the class with him. They, you know, we've heard good things about the relationships uh, among that group. Um, so it is an interesting dynamic to, um, you know, to I guess juggle in the locker room. But at the same time, that, you know, that's why you get paid to be the coach. Uh, you know, yes. that's 
and and that's the job also of the quarterback um you know the quarterback room is to you know navigate uh some of these these circumstances but well it's interesting to see i mean i think that you know what we see on saturday will go a long way towards determining you know what this november means for penn state um what it is i mean like you said it's it's a pretty soft landing um i think even if maryland comes in at 7 and 2 and ranked that's not necessarily a team that's going to strike fear into you um and indiana doesn't even though things can get weird in bloomington rutgers doesn't and then michigan state at this point doesn't. So mm-hmm. I think that you're, you're set up that if you want to see what you have, if you, you're, you know, you'll have the opportunity to do it, whether or not that's, you know, you should have been doing that against Minnesota um, or Northwestern or more against central Michigan. That's probably a conversation that will be easier to have in January or February. Um, but it's it's an interesting dynamic right now for Penn State to juggle, and I'm I'm curious to see you know what that actually looks like uh, with whatever they decide to put into practice. You look at four possible paths moving forward, Daniel, with the rest of the season uh, and and how it evolves as a quarterback. One is that Penn State uh, does not impress in, in November, and a big part of the reason is the quarterback play of Sean Clifford. That's going to leave people feeling a certain way. Uh, the other is that Penn State does impress. You know, they 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 go to ten and two. Sean Clifford's a key reason why they get into New York Six Bowl. Then people are going to say, "Well, Sean need really need to start the bowl game. Can we get through these reps?" And that conversation is going to continue. People are going to be happy, and they're going. To, I think a lot of people will be happy to see Sean Clifford finish his career that way. But the, at the end of the day, they may feel a little unfulfilled, and, and Drew Aller not getting all the looks that he possibly could have in year one. Then the other variation is Drew Aller plays. Not so well. Penn State doesn't play so well either, but people chalk it up as a learning experience. It feels a little bit different than if they don't play under, don't play well with Sean Clifford at quarterback. And the last one here, which is the one where you view the raising of the ceiling, Drew Aller, it it, it sparks things. Uh, It looks good and, and it looks better and better week by week. And you get to those 10 wins. And then you get a month of national conversation setting the stage for a New Year's Six Bowl matchup against a high caliber opponent as a top 10 team with Drew Aller's face front and center and all those things. So not only are you building up your brand here, but you are potentially going for a launch into what could be a really exciting offseason in 2023. And maybe that does some things for you in recruiting. So if you're tantalized by that last option, you got to weigh everything else involved with there. But I feel like all those kind of pathways need to be part of this dialogue that James Franklin's having with them, their staff. If they're being honest with themselves and being honest with the potential ramifications of what they determine here in the next few days and the next few weeks. Uh, they've, they've leaned a lot on the going one to know this week. And that's always been James Franklin's mantra is that we want the quarterback that's going to help us be one to know this week. But you know, with those options that you laid out, I think that those are very real that the reality right now is that what you do now determines, you know, are you going to a new year's six bowl and everything that comes along with that, the perception, like we talked about of having, you know, a 10 win season where you finish strong versus stumbling uh, against some, you know, inferior opponents um, over this next month. I think that no matter, you know, what they talk about that, yeah, we just want the quarterback that's going to win on Saturday. I think that if you're the coach, if you're the CEO of this program, you you have to be thinking about those bigger picture things. You know, mm-hmm. what does this mean for recruiting? What does this mean for our profile? You know, what can we do to win these games 
so that we can have all of these other, you know, I guess, tangential benefits, um, the, the indirect things that, that will help the program uh, that could help on the recruiting trail and could just be a good experience, uh, you know, for the players. Um, you know, we, they've talked a lot about Olu Fashionu and the bowl practices last year, how big that was for him. You know, if you know you want to get to a better bowl game so that you're getting those practices and you're going up against a, you know, a higher caliber opponent so that your younger players and can get good experience. Um, I think that there's there's really a lot at stake right now uh, for this program and over this last month that goes beyond just going one to know four times. All right, Daniel, believe it or not, folks, there was some other topics of conversation uh, during the, the press conference, just a few, but not many others. Um, certainly, you mentioned him, Oluf uh, Fashionu, a, a guy who is just surging up the NFL draft boards. When you look across the, the industry rankings for 2023, he continues to pop up as a top 10, top 20 caliber prospect. And you got to remind yourself, he's got nine career starts, the first of which was that bowl game that Daniel just mentioned. We got an update on him, Daniel. It wasn't much of a clear update. We'll get to practice on Wednesday. That's usually a good chance for us to see how things are developing and progressing in terms of availability. But this is a guy who has played as much as anybody uh, on this Penn State football roster in 2022. And if he's not available for this matchup uh, it, because of the way he has played and performed, because it might mean in shuffling some things offensively, that puts you in a little state of peril regardless of who your quarterback is. Yeah, James Franklin gave it a we'll see how it goes this week, which is a little bit different than his normal uh, hopeful answer, which mm -hmm. I think kind of emerged as as his stock response for a lot of injuries this year. Um, I'd have I think I think Landon Tangwall got the we'll see how it goes this week uh, earlier this earlier in October and ended up not playing. Um, but I think that as it is with injuries, we'll get a little bit more information on Wednesday night and then we'll know for sure at I think 3.30 p.m. Saturday um, with, with how things are um, up there. But um, yeah, I think that fashion news injury is, is big because Penn State was, you know, no matter how they talk about uh, Hunter Norzat or Bryce Effner as starters, you know, playing starter reps. I mean, Landon Tangwall and Caden Wallace were the ones that were out there um, for for most of the year. And, you know, you're already down two starters. Um, we talked about how they were, they've been able to go seven deep this year as opposed to six deep last year. Well, if you're down three starters, that means you're going to have to go eight deep, um, which I guess would mean Jimmy Christ getting uh, a lot of run um, based on what we've seen. So it's it's definitely something to, to monitor. I mean, like we've talked about with other positions, you, know, you can talk a lot about depth, but depth can disappear pretty quickly. So um, if Olu can go, I think that's huge for not only – you know, who, whoever, whoever's blindside he's blocking, but just that offensive line in general. I'm curious. You mentioned Chris because he did come in off the sideline, uh, seldom used redshirt sophomore tackle. Um, he was the, the bookends with with Bryce Efner there in this in that matchup at the very end against Ohio State. But when you envision you have a game week uh, here and you kind of know where it's kind of going. I do wonder if Drew Shelton is that guy who gets the opportunity. And, and he's a true freshman. He's played in a couple games. It's a big ask to, to, to go be a starting left tackle in the Big Ten. But, you know, he's, he's a top 24-7 prospect. It's the guy that they have not been shy um, on the record, off the record, about discussing as a, a key piece for them in the trenches this year moving forward. Um, he, he's really added a lot to his uh, physique, 25-plus pounds, I think, to this point in enrollment. It's showing up on the field. You can see in some of those practice matchups against the veteran defenders, he's got strides to make, but he's been getting a lot of good work out there. 
um, a lot of quality reps as a second teamer. Uh, so I'm curious if, if Olu was unavailable. And, and then if you also top, throw on top of that, Caden Wallace's iffy status, um, maybe this is a moment for, for Drew Shelton to step up and, and you know and play his third game and maybe play a lot. Uh, but again, we'll have Wednesday practice notes up at lines247.com. Keep tabs on who's out there, who's competing, and what that might mean for Saturday's matchup. The other name to know here, and a guy we'll have to watch closely at practice as well, is Kevon Lee. Um, James Franklin shed a, a, quite a bit of light on that situation, actually, saying it's been five games now, uh, five weeks, I should say, where Kevon Lee has been hurt working through some things um, that makes a lot of sense because you look at his usage. He missed the last couple games. He only had one carry against Michigan on four snaps. So you've got to go back to Northwestern the last time he was significantly involved in a game plan. And he was really out there because of the fumble issues ahead of him. Uh, this is a guy who has 17 total offensive touches, Daniel, since he scored that game winning touchdown at Purdue, but let's not kid ourselves. Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, they are not indestructible. You need depth at running back. It, James Franklin knocked on wood today when he was talking about the, did, the, depth, yes. the, the depth situation where he said that even with everything that's happened uh, in that running back room where, you know, Kaziah Holmes is at Florida State now, Devin Ford is not on the team, Kevon Lee is was working through whatever he's working through injury wise that they were still able to have two scholarship running backs um, available. And, you know, that's not a given uh, with, with how physical that that position is. And so I think that having Kevon Lee available you know, even though the, you know, the yards per carry aren't there and, and he's not getting a lot of reps, um, I think that you need him to be you know able to go as an insurance policy. Um, things can go pretty quickly. And, you, you know, we saw it like Tank Smith was, uh, you know, only a couple snaps away uh, from having to play these you know major role the, these past two weeks. So I think Kevon Lee will be an interesting to watch. I was I was glad we got some clarity on that um, because that was one of those things where uh, there's a bit of a vacuum and his pregame warmup uh, routines have been different every week. Um, but you know now we know and and we'll see. I mean I think that that's that's big for Penn State if he can be healthy, if he can be ready to go because you never know when those fumbles are going to come and you never know when when an injury could come. Yeah, Kevon Lee last year, one of his better games was against this Indiana team. He had 82 yards on, on nine touches, including a 44-yard rush in that matchup. We look across the way. This is an Indiana team that, that they're going to be without their leading receiver on the season. He's done for the year. Uh, reports out of Bloomington indicate they're going to be without their lead, uh, you know, one of their top tacklers and, and, and a veteran uh, linebacker. So you cross a couple names off that list, and we'll dive into the Hoosiers a lot more on our next episode with an Indiana beat reporter. But you had your piece up here on a Tuesday, as you always do, going through 10 opposing players to keep an eye on this week. Who were some of those that stand out to you? On, on the offensive side of the ball, uh, I think that the wide receiver position is going to be pretty interesting. Uh, Cam Camper uh, was Indiana's leading receiver. Uh, he's out for the year with a torn ACL, um, which means that we're going to see a, a familiar name for some Penn State fans, uh, Emery Simmons. Um, you know, he has been, uh, Indiana's kind of second leading receiver. And I think that he'll get, uh, a lot more run. Um, DJ Matthews is a Florida state transfer, um, who, who's played a role for them, but I am kind of intrigued by the running back room, uh, for Indiana. Uh, Sean Shivers is an Auburn transfer. Josh Henderson is a North Carolina transfer. Uh, and Jalen Lucas is a freshman. Um, you know, all of them have done, uh, some some pretty good things this year. 
Um, one thing that that James Franklin brought up today is that Indiana is going to run a lot of plays. Um, I think that under Walt Bell this year, they're they're one of the fastest, uh, you know, fastest paced uh, offenses in terms of tempo. Hasn't always gone well for them. Um, I, I did see a quote uh, from from Walt Bell uh, earlier this week about time of possession. Uh, that was something along the lines of, you know, if if your three and out goes in 45 seconds or a minute 20, you've still gone three and out. Um, so I think that that offers a little glimpse into Indiana's philosophy. Um, you know, and at quarterback, Connor ba- Basilak has been, I guess, underwhelming. <laughs> I guess the, the Missouri transfer, 54.9% of his passes, 5.5 yards per attempt. Um, Jack Tuttle was listed as the second stringer on their depth chart. Last week, uh, we saw him last year in Happy Valley after Michael Penix Jr. got knocked out, and Tuttle was, you know, not that good. Even though Indiana wasn't really able to do much of anything uh, in that game last year, so you know, we could see Tuttle or redshirt sophomore Dexter Williams. Um, I think that's what that's what stands out to me on the on the offensive uh, side of the ball. Um, and if we look at the defense uh, quickly, um, Deshaun McCullough. Uh, was the number 75 overall prospect in the 24 seven sports composite. Um, his father, uh, Deland was the, uh, was an assistant at Indiana for a while. Uh, and he left in the off season to take a job uh, at Notre Dame. Um, but McCullough is one of the, the better guys that they've, uh, they've signed in the past couple of years. And he leads Indiana with four sacks. He's got five and a half tackles for loss. I think that that's something that you want to watch uh, when we talk about those tackles. You know who is going to be, who are going to be the bookends? Um, is it going to be Caden Wallace and, and Olu Fashionu, or could it be Bryce Effner and Jimmy Christ or Drew Shelton? Um, I think that that's some, a matchup that that makes a big difference. Um, and then a couple other names: uh, Aaron Casey uh, is the leading tackler with Cam Jones out. Uh, Taiwan Mullen uh, was probably one of uh, the best draft prospects or top draft prospects on the Indiana roster. And so we could see that cornerback matched up with Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Mitchell Tinsley. Um, I think that that could be pretty interesting to watch. Um, And then Devin Matthews has been uh, a pretty productive safety, uh, a veteran guy uh, on the back end for Indiana. And, you know, we want to see more from the tight ends and Penn State's tight ends have had some success recently. Um, And you could see some, you know, interesting matchups with with Matthews there uh, deeper in the secondary. Well, the Hoosiers opened this season 3-0. They've dropped five straight since then, losing to Cincinnati, Nebraska, Michigan, Maryland, and Rutgers. They're back home. Uh, overall in this series, Penn State holds an advantage of 23-2. to A couple wins for the Hoosiers in Bloomington since 2013. We all remember the 2020 opener uh, for that delayed campaign. Uh, Penn State heading back uh, to what was the House of Horrors that night and trying to uh, come home with a win and a 7-2 and record and getting November off to a strong start. We will take a deeper look at this matchup, the meaning, the players to watch, and give you our predictions on Thursday with another episode. We're going to shift focus to recruiting now. But, Daniel, thank you, as always, for the insight. I'll talk to you real soon. Thanks for having me, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get into it with another Lions 24-7 colleague. If you are following our coverage at the site and our VIP member, you are well aware that he has been all over not just football, but the basketball recruiting scene for us. Uh, we're going to get into some of both with him right now. And Tyler Calvaruzzo returns to the podcast. He was on with us last week recapping some of what went down on campus for the whiteout and the recruiting ramifications from that. And Tyler, let's get you back on board, give you an official proper introduction. Say hello to the folks. Hope everyone's doing well out there. You know, I'm happy to be back, talk recruiting. You know, it, it was a fun weekend in Happy Valley atmosphere wise. You know, a lot of good feedback from a lot of guys who made the trip. You know, obviously it didn't go Penn State's way on the field, but I still think there are some positives to take away. And, you know, we got a lot of good stuff brewing on the basketball front as well. So me and you got a lot to cover today. I'm looking forward to it. We do. We've got we've got a, a quite the list. And and let's start here. You you've said it since the summer when we were discussing the recruiting calendar and what people needed to look for and the kind of checkpoints that you'd be monitoring along the way to signing day. This two week span was very important. I mean, look, they've got some more home games on the schedule, but they don't carry the juice of a whiteout and a matchup against Ohio State. So what do you think Penn State was able to accomplish on those two Saturdays? I think really the biggest thing that stood out to me was just the inroads that they were able to continue to make with a lot of their top 2024 guys. You know, guys like Quentin Martin, you know, just the likes of elite, elite prospects who made it to campus for the whiteout in the Ohio State game. All really enjoyed their experiences on campus. All really had good things to say coming away from their trips. So while there's still a ton of focus on finishing 2023 strong, you know, Terry Smith said it last week, still about four to six spots left in that 2023 group. There's just as much focus on 2024s, the 25s, and even the 26s. You know, and I know that feels like a long time away, but Steph's got its radar on some guys in that class. So just, you know, continuing to build relationships. It's always great getting these guys on campus and, you know, catching up for the staff, being able to catch up with them before games. That's always something recruits love, and that's something the staff has been able to do really well before these games in some pretty big atmospheres. So really just all, a lot of positives on that front and just – we talk about relationships so much in recruiting and these two weekends, just, you know, getting recruits in that environment and just, you know, introducing them to that, that it just helps Penn state's cause considering they already have such good relationships with so many guys who are high on their board across multiple classes. Yeah. You caught up with a, a New Jersey standout who I know we had a chance to see in, in the camps uh, this summer. You had a chance to see him in September uh, in, in some New Jersey high school ball. And Michael Thomas has an excellent name for the wide receiver position, although he's Michael Thomas, the third, I should note. 2025 prospects. So we've got a long term conversation to have here. But he got back to Happy Valley, uh, got into Beaver Stadium for this matchup. What did you hear in your conversation with him? Yeah, so this trip was something that he'd been wanting to do pretty much since he camped in, I believe it was June 11th. I think he was at that camp. He camped, he got his offer that day, and he knew he wanted to get back for one of these two weekends. He was originally planning on coming up for the whiteout game against Minnesota, but, you know, some scheduling conflicts there. Had to make it up for the Ohio State game, and it was really overall just a positive trip for him. You know, he got to see Parker Washington have himself a day. That was really big. That was something that he mentioned to me. And he was a big fan of the atmosphere. He has a really good relationship with Taylor Stubblefield. I think that's the big thing to know in this recruitment. Those two are, you know, have developed a pretty strong bond. And he's also really tight with Gabe Infante as well. So there's a lot working in Penn State's favor there. The thing with Thomas is still very young, still developing. You know, that 2025 receiver board, long way away from its final product, you know. So we're going to have to see where the chips fall at the end of the day. But – Mike Thomas likes Penn State a lot. There, there, there's a lot of love there between him and the staff. So I think the Nittany Lions are going to be high on his list moving forward. And he'll be a name we're talking about for a couple of years now, really. 
sticking with the underclassmen theme, but bringing it back to the state of Pennsylvania and going out to Imani Christian Academy in Pittsburgh. There's a couple underclassmen out there to be well aware of who are going to be ranked highly if they are not already and have Penn State uh, interest with an early offers. Deshaun Burnett in that 2025 cycle. David Davis in the 2026 cycle. I can't believe we're talking 2026, know, but these are the guys we're interviewing now, and these are the kind of uh, guys that are getting – uh, you know, quote unquote scholarship offers. It's it's tough to call them tangible scholarship offers still when they're this oh, early, yeah. but it, it's a genuine expression of power five interest at a very solid, solid level. Uh, wh what's the feedback from these guys and, and how much is Penn State going to have to monitor them moving forward? You know, Imani Christian, man, they're in a really good spot with those two. They got a lot of young talent on deck there. And Deshaun Burnett, we're, we're talking about a guy who's already ranked in the top 100. He's a really dynamic linebacker. He does a lot of different things for Imani Christian. You know, he, he mans his linebacker position. I also believe he plays some quarterback for them as well. So he's just an all-around athlete, really smart football player, for high football IQ. You know, that's the constant praise that I hear for him. And he's, he's athletic as heck, too. So he's got that going for him as well. Early on, you know, we talk about 2025-2026 kids, still obviously a really long way to go, but he's high on Penn State. You know, he he has a lot of a lot of admiration for the coaching staff, the defensive staff, and you know, the work they put in and the work that they put into recruiting him early on. And I received a, kind of a similar sentiment from David Davis at 2026, who, you know, an athlete lines up by running back and defensive back for Monty Christian. This was his first taste of Penn State over the weekend, and he really, really loved getting up there. Burnett had been up there. He's been up there twice in two weekends. This was Davis's first trip, and he got the chance to catch up with Terry Smith and James Franklin before the game. Really brief chat, just a check-in, but, man, he was like – he was blown away with that, just being on the field and talking to those two. So positive feedback from those two. Definitely names we're going to be keeping an eye on because, you know, just given that they're in-state kids and they already have such a high level of interest and they have offers on hand, so definitely ones we're going to be monitoring. How about this? The, the Greg Biggins had this. who does a great job really focused on the, the West Coast recruiting scene for 24-7 sports. But um, he had a story up on lines247.com yesterday on, on Monday about this group uh, who came from Southern California, most notably from modern day, the powerhouse out there in, in Santa Ana. Um, Brandon Baker, who, who many believe may be the top offensive tackle in that entire 2024 class was in Beaver Stadium on Saturday. Elijah Brown, a top 100 quarterback in in that class as well, a guy who's 27-0 as a starter for what many consider to be the nation's number one high school program. He was in Happy Valley on Saturday. And let's face it, they're going to be at a lot of big-time games and moving forward. They've already been to a bunch. I just thought it was notable, and there were other names involved there. But just to give people an indication, we downplayed it a little bit going into the game because it was a new kickoff on a Saturday that inhibits what you can do uh, in terms of expanding up your recruiting event and, and really ramping that up. But it was a destination game for some recruits, and not just guys from New Jersey, from Pennsylvania, from Virginia. Uh, you had guys get on planes to be here. Um, and, and when they're coming in groups, you always appreciate that. And you want them to come back as groups too. It definitely wound up being a destination game. And like you said, you know, we did downplay it, I think, a little bit. But also what we said kind of came true because as the week went on, that trip came together later in the week. You know, mm -hmm. it, originally it was thought that group was going to make the trip. But, you know, we got we to go obviously make sure that's happening. You know, we got to go out there and confirm it. They got games on Friday night. They got schedule stuff going on. You know, there's a bunch that goes into a group of California kids making a trip to Pennsylvania to watch Penn State play. And that came to fruition with that modern day group. And it's funny, you know, I got a I got some eyes on that modern day, that young modern day core that they have last season. I don't know how many of our listeners know this, but in addition to what I used to do with at 24-7 covering Boston College, I also did some work for USA Today with the high school sports top, football top 25. So I saw a lot of modern day football last year, of more than I was anticipating and ever watch. 
And I got to see a lot of their young guys, the guys like Elijah Brown. I mean, man, Brandon Baker, those, those are dudes. They're going to be elite players at the next level. So moving forward, obviously it's going to be tough. You know, West Coast kids, they're going to have a ton of interest. They're going to be making a bunch of visits to Blue Blood programs. But anytime you could get that kind of a group on campus in any sort of setting is a big, big win for the staff, in my opinion. Just get, it, get It's like I said, you know, you expose these kids to that environment, especially California kids where it's not really accessible to get out to Penn State all that often. So some good ground was covered with that group, and the staff's happy it got them out there. Yeah, and a couple of other names I just wanted to mention from that group, both out of Orange High School in Southern California yeah. and guys that I caught up with earlier this offseason back in the summer, uh, in the spring, Kobe Boykin. Uh, he is a 2024 running back who's committed to Utah, an all-purpose type. Some view him as a slot player, uh, potential special teams threat. Uh, he's been to campus now, I think, two or three times at this stage. Uh, he came for a reason in the spring. Now he got back. Uh, just one of those names to monitor that maybe more of those, more than just a there for the moment, there yeah. for the experience kind of deals. And then the other name on that list uh, was also a return trip and is also committed to another Pac-12 program. This time it's Jet White. It's in the 2025 class, but he's considered an elite level defensive back in Orange. Uh, again, pledged to the Trojans. He's a high school sophomore, though, and he was already on campus here at Penn State in the spring. So just another name there from Orange uh, High School, Kobe Boykin and, and Jet White. File them away maybe a little bit differently than what you would with those matter-day uh, high-profile stars. Yeah. And this may be you know, their, their one-time experience at Beaver Stadium, uh, but it seems like there's a little bit of a trend here with some of these West Coast guys, and especially when they're a little bit younger. That's why it's, it's key. And, and and James Franklin said it today. Over the course of this game, he's very proud of the way Penn State played, not so much about how they finished. But I, I think that probably resonates with prospects, at least from my vantage point, what I've heard, what I've seen. How about from you, the fact that Penn State went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the number two team in the country, once again was unable to find that win, but it certainly wasn't a repeat performance of the Michigan matchup. And I think if it was – that's where you can really slide in the recruiting perception. If anything, they've solidified themselves in that regard, I would say, on Saturday. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually a really good point. You know, we've talked so much about Quentin Martin on this podcast, you know, the five-star from Bell Vernon, and just how high he is on the board and how much of a priority he is for the staff. And he caught up with our very own Brian Doan after the game, and one of the big things that stood out to him was just the fight that Penn State had throughout that game. And a lot of recruits have said similar things. They saw the fight from the Nittany Lions throughout the afternoon. There are no, obviously it goes without saying no moral victories. There's nothing like that, you know, but at the end of the day, from a recruiting perspective, it matters. It's like you just said, you know, getting blown out versus putting up a, a hell of a fight against an elite team that resonates with kids. Guys like Martin saw that. So yeah, I, you know, a loss is a loss, but in a sense, Penn State helped itself with the way it played. There was a lot of fight from that group and re recruits definitely took note. That's not something that's lost on them ever really. All right, Tyler, there's a, there's a really interesting new offer out in the 2023 cycle. And at, at this point, every offer out in the 2023 cycle from this point forward is going to be one that we need to focus in on because that's where it is. Uh, Terry Smith told us toward the end of last week that the Penn State defensive recruiting coordinator, they're looking at four to six spots left perhaps in the 2023 class. It's been a while since we've seen some movement. Uh, the last time was in, in early September. Um, where do you think they're going with this junior college offer and, and shed some light on the defensive tackle who picked it up. The new name to know, and this is a mouthful, Quintrell Jamison Travis. That's the new guy on the board. Picked up his offer from the Nittany Lions last night. I don't know how many of our listeners follow the JUCO scene, but he's over at Iowa Western. Pretty solid JUCO program, known for sending guys to the Power 5 ranks, and I think he's got a pretty good chance to be the next one. 6'4", 280. Penn State likes him as an interior guy. 
you know, when he talked to the staff, he told me that PJ Mustafer actually came up and how they see a lot of PJ Mustafer in him and how he could potentially step in and, you know, fill that void once PJ leaves. So John Scott Jr. likes what he sees. It's still early. You know, he's trying to make his way up to campus for a visit. That's going to be kind of difficult just given he has a pretty jam-packed JUCO schedule. He only has one visit scheduled right now, and that's in Nebraska in the middle of November. But there is something that Penn State fans definitely need to know here, and it's that there's a tie to a player on the team already. You know, Quintrell, he's from Minnesota, and he played high school football with Dayon Townley. And those two are really close. And Townley has been saying a lot of good things about the program ever since really that contact started. And that was, you know, leading up to the offer weeks he'd been in contact with staff. So those two have connected. He can see himself on Penn State's defensive line. It obviously helped that he has one of his buddies, you know, feeding him intel on the program, mm-hmm. just how things really run. And he's really like that. He's heard a lot of good things. So name to know moving forward. We'll see if he wants to make it to campus. I think he will at this rate. But we got to see how that comes to schedule or it comes to fruition. He's got a busy schedule. Townley is a redshirt freshman defensive end. And so not only is he tapping into uh, insight to the program, but insight to that position room, insight to that position coach and John Scott Jr. So you like that tie in. And by the way, I'm not sure if you mentioned this in your story that you wrote up on the Stuco offer, but Iowa Western is where they got Jordan Vandenberg uh, from a couple of years ago. Just last year actually was year one for him, uh, taking on a bigger role here now at defensive tackle for Penn State. So they've got a bit of a track record now in grabbing a defensive lineman, having him come in, play for the same position coach. So a couple of trendy things there um, as there's other power five interests being generated and Penn State is not the first one to this party as well in this no. recruitment. So uh, they've got some work to do. They've got some familiarizing to do and, and we'll see where it goes moving forward. But again, any time you see a 2023 offer pop up, Juco, high school, senior, otherwise it is notable at this stage of the cycle. Yeah. Tyler, with that in mind, I know you've got some plans to do a bit of a board reset. Um, you, you, you had some commentary on this with, with an article last week. With those remaining spots, there's not a lot of obvious, you know, put this guy here. He's clearly going to be the one who ends up filling it. What do you think takes shape here between November 1st and that third week of December that ultimately determines how Penn State finds the right pieces you know, I, I really, at this point in the cycle, you're just really zoned in on positional need. And that, you know, that, that's obvious. You know, Penn State is kind of nitpicking what it needs to address. It's already loaded up on 20 kids. Now the focus on where can we add quality depth this late in the cycle? Is it a Juco kid? Is it a late blooming high school kid? Is it a flip? And, you know, now we have to take the transfer portal into account as well. And we've talked about what Terry Smith has said a bunch. The transfer portal is something that he touched on. You know, you don't know how that's going to hit Penn State at the end of the season. You hope it doesn't from the coaching sack coaching staff's perspective but in this day and age you know something's probably going to happen and that's going to impact one how many uh, spots hold on hold on hold on you hope it doesn't for the guys you want to keep but, but you exactly. also are kind of hanging your hat on the fact that it will happen for some that have maybe reached their expiration date with the program yeah. and both sides know it i just want to say that no yeah it's 100 percent because you know, every situation is unique you know it's kind of one of those things that goes without saying you know, every every situation with every player is unique and depending on which kids you know decide to look elsewhere that's going to determine what plays out at the end of the 2023 cycle because you might have new positional needs you know you might need to add quality depth at places where you didn't previously need to add quality depth so i think you know the defensive line's a priority i still think there's as we just saw with the offer that went out i think there's still a desire to add another running back you know and possibly another wide receiver edwin joseph is still very much in the mix maybe another piece in the secondary but maybe a linebacker as well. You know, we got, we still got to see what's going to happen with KV on keys who four-star committed to North Carolina, who we've talked about plenty. So definitely a lot of moving parts. And I feel like as the early, early signing period inches closer by the day, 
we're going to get a pretty clear picture of what this staff is doing and where they're really, really focused on adding. You didn't mention it, and before a listener asked about it on our message board or something else, why didn't you mention it, or did you forget? Offensive line. Yeah, offensive line's an interesting place right now. You know, Stanton Ramil, Michigan State commit, he's a name that's popped up. One we've heard might have a pretty good amount of interest in the Nittany Lions if he were to back off his commitment to the Spartans. We'll see if that happens. The board, I don't want to say it's a mystery. I just feel like there's a lot being monitored there by Phil Trotwin and company. You know, a lot of, uh, lot of evaluating going on at this point in the cycle. A lot of, uh, lot of deciding on which kids are going to be worth taking a chance on. You know, that, that's something coaches hang their hat on. What projects are we going to take a chance on? And we're seeing some of that, you know, kind of come to fruition a little bit. So I think by December, the offensive line board is going to be a little bit more clear, just like the rest of things. Mm-hmm. But that staff's definitely hard at work figuring out, hey, who could fit in this scheme that we have here? I almost view because of what has happened through the official visit process and muffing that up in the spring. It's just, it, it just feels so late already. It, it yeah. you know, it, it doesn't it feel it's, it's different than it used to be. And, and people have talked about how it has accelerated the process where a lot of these players want to commit by the time they get to their, their end of their junior year, or certainly by the time they get to their senior season, we used to have to really keep an eye on December official visits. Maybe Penn State will have a few of those that factor in, but those used to be significant weekends on an annual basis yeah. where you have eight guys who are uncommitted and they're down to the wire with their decision. I still think a very key juncture for Penn State because of the transfer portal, because of what they've seen them do in the past. It's been a selective process, but they come away with some key pieces of their roster is what happens between that uh, between Christmas and that first Wednesday in February. Because by then, you know who's staying, you know who's going for the most part on your current roster, you're well aware of those kind of things, and you've got a pretty good feel on on where you can invest scholarship-wise on a position-by-position basis and where you can't. Um, Vega Ioane was a great pickup last year. Um, A few years ago, Daquan Hardy proved to be a valuable pickup. I think Adiza Isaac may have been a post-early signing period pickup as well, if I remember correctly. So that's where I think we all have to need to to concentrate as well, because there is that natural inclination to reset your board when you get through December. And then a lot of these guys who have been committed since their junior year and sophomore years, they're off that board now. And you're left with a bunch of players who maybe didn't surface on the power five recruiting platform until they were 17, 18 years old. Yeah. And I always, I actually personally, I really enjoy the, fe- you know, leading up to the February national sign day. Cause it always feels like you discover the, well, not discover, but you know, kids who decided to wait more to, you know, see if some new power five, take a closer look, up. you take exactly, a, closer, yeah. a second look, maybe sometimes a third look and, yeah. it, and, and you start I've seen to fourth looks, see man. some different things. Yeah. I mean, we, it, the key part. And, and for those who just want to kind of say it all has to happen in December, I think you're shortchanging the process because there's a lot of really good players who for one reason or the other, it could be injuries, could be exposure. Uh, it could be their coach didn't put in the work to get them recruited at the high school they're at. There are really good players who get lost in the shuffle and they end up on one of your rivals and they score four touchdowns against you over the course exactly. of four years. You learn a lot about them. Uh, so you try to get them on your roster. Yeah. There's always late bloomers. That's just the nature of the beast. And that's what, yeah. that's what January and February is all about. So I think there's definitely going to be some of that going on in terms of Penn state editing in 2023 as well. Well, long-term of course, we'll, we'll keep tabs on. I know the yeah. day-to-day though, Tyler has you covered on our message board, lines247.com with our coverage. Uh, been great, doing a great job engaging with, with, with a lot of questions of late as well. Let's finish with some basketball recruiting talk. We had Daniel Gallen last week, breaking down what he saw and heard at Penn state preseason media day tip off is nearing for the Nittany Lions and of course a lot of excitement about what they may be able to do on the recruiting trail 
coming off the top 25 class in the 2022 cycle. You've been great uh, getting us a lot of information, 2024 class, off of these visits. And I think that's where we have to start. Beaver Stadium isn't just home to football prospects during football games. No, two official visits last weekend, a pair of unofficials going down. So the two official visitors, pretty big names, I would say. Peyton Marshall, he's a top 50 center from Georgia. And Sir Muhammad, top 100 wing from North Carolina. He's actually the son of former NBA big man Nazi Muhammad for those for our basketball fans out there. So there, there's some there's pedigree there. Just starting with Marshall, he's been a pretty big talking point on the board recently, pretty for a couple months now, I would say. He took an official visit to Auburn in September, and that was actually the weekend that Penn State played down at Auburn. So that trip went well, and coming out of that trip, the general sentiment was that Auburn's going to be really tough to beat, and I still think that's true. But being a top 50 prospect from the South where you have all of those SEC options, if you decide to come up to Penn State for an official visit, I think it's pretty telling of where your interest lies. I, I think I think the Nittany Lions have a real chance there for a pretty, pretty elite center from, from what I've seen out of him. Really big kid. 6'11", 290, moves really well. He's good on the glass, athletic, you know, down low, pretty good low post game. A lot to offer there, and I think Penn State's definitely in the running. And with Muhammad, Muhammad's a bit more of a versatile prospect. You know, he could guard the three, he could guard the four. He's got a lot going for him in that regard. He's not as big as his father. He's 6'5 right now. Nazi was more 6'10", 6'11". So there's still some thought that he could grow into that frame and you know be a stretch four type player at the next level. I think Penn State really likes his versatility, and that was something that was pitched to him while on campus. He's like, hey, look, you could do a lot of different things for us on the court. You could guard the three, guard the four, you play that way on offense. So visits went well with those two, and you really just got to give credit to Micah Shrewsbury and this staff. I think they're really doing a really good job early with the 2024. Royce Parham, an in-state power forward, he was on campus for his official for the whiteout game, and that just went so well. He's a legacy. His mom played ball at Penn State, and there's a lot of pull there for him to stay home. You know, I think the Nittany Lions are on top there right now. So a lot of good things going on on the basketball front right now. No commits in the 2024 class yet. You know, sometimes that basketball classes they're a little bit more slow developing for some pretty obvious reasons. You know, season's right around the corner. Guys are going to be taking visits, really vetting their options, but – Penn State has put itself in a pretty good spot with guys who are high on its board. So Shrewsbury and company, they got to be happy heading where they are right now. You've had a couple of basketball recruiting notebooks up on the site in the last week or so. I'm curious, beyond the visitors that you just covered territory with, before we wrap up this episode of the podcast, what are some of the other names that are surfacing that uh, perhaps they may be long shots, perhaps they may be realistic, but Penn State in the thick of it at this moment? So in 2024, there's Matt Gilhul. Sorry if I butchered his last name. I think I got it right. But he's he's a West Town forward. He's made multiple trips to Penn State, and all those trips have gone well. So Nittany Lines, another prospect there right there for the thing with him is Maryland has been pushing pretty hard. I know they the staff down there feels pretty good about his chances. So there's some Big Ten competition there. And then in the class of 2025, the name to know, remember this name, Malik Thomas. He's top 10 in the country. He hails from Pennsylvania, and he got his official offer from the Nittany Lions over the weekend. They had been courting him for a while, and now he has that offer. He made two trips to campus in as many weekends, and both trips went really well. And I've been saying it on the board. A player of Thomas's caliber who's already starting to hear from the likes of Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, that interest is going to be there throughout. Getting him on campus early and getting that relationship built up early is so important because – I've heard there is somewhat of a desire to stay closer to home. I know Pittsburgh has presented an intriguing option to do that as well, but the staff has done a really good job here early of just, you know, selling its vision for him in the backcourt. So this is going to be a really tough pull. You know, there's no sense in sugarcoating it. He's an elite, elite prospect. And 
by the time he gets to the point where he's going to be playing college ball with the new rules, he might be off to the NBA if that's how his development goes. So we're going to have to see what plays out there, but I know Penn State's putting in a lot of work there early, and it's paying, it seems like it's paying off. Well, he is Tyler Calvaruzzo. He does a fantastic job covering recruiting, as you can tell, also basketball for us at Lions247.com. Tyler, always nice to have you back on the podcast. We'll talk to you real soon. Always great to join you, man. Thanks for having me. All right, good stuff from Daniel and from Tyler on this episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're back a little bit later in the week with full perspective on what this Indiana Hoosiers team will bring to a matchup against the number 16 Nittany Lions. We'll be out of our practice look by the time we record with you next. So hope to have some follow-up information regarding some of those availability issues perhaps what's happening with the quarterback competition. A bunch of coverage on everything we discussed during this episode is at lines247.com from articles to message board threads. We hope you're enjoying the conversation there. And if you haven't joined us yet, hope you'll consider doing so for 30% off an annual membership or $1 for one month. On behalf of our whole team, I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 podcast.